Amen and amen. As you remain standing, I'm going to invite you to open the word of the Lord with me today to the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 10 and verse number 12. It's one of those books that you don't go to very often, but it's in the Old Testament towards the end. It's in the midst of all of the minor prophets. Hosea chapter number 10. If you can't find it, don't worry about it. We've got it on the screen. But Hosea chapter 10, beginning with verse number 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord. Till he comes and rains righteousness on you. You have plowed wickedness. You have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies. Because you trusted in your own way. In the multitude of your mighty men. I'd like to take from this portion of scripture a subject that I've simply entitled, It is time to seek the Lord. How many of you believe that it is time to seek the Lord? That it is time to pray like we have never prayed before. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just ask that you would visit us here over these next several moments. Lord, as we suspend everything else to sit humbly by your word, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, I am just a vessel, and I pray that I would neither add to nor take away from the word of the Lord. I pray that I would remain within the structure of the scriptures, and that, Father, we would glean from these things so that we might know how to be even more effective in our prayer. Lord, we are convinced that there is nothing that you do in this earth apart from our prayers. And I pray that you would grip our hearts to recognize how important prayer really is. And not just simple elementary school prayers, but real intelligent seeking of the face of God. May we understand these things, I pray, in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. One more time, would you give the Lord praise in His house this morning? So good to have you here. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and tell him that you love him in Jesus' name. You know, most of you know by now that probably over the last five or six years, we have welcomed every new year with a 21-day fast. That has just been our practice here for a number of years, and we have always looked forward to that. But I have to tell you that during last year's uh, 21-day fast, I felt a check in my spirit. And I felt as if we needed to take a step back from it for at least one year, that we needed to change the direction that we were going in. And Uh, The reason that I felt that way, and I was sharing this with everyone on Wednesday night, and I know that this does not apply to every individual here, but in general I felt that we had come to a place in these fasts where we were doing it for doing its sake. That we were fasting for fasting's sake. That uh, That we were doing this more for not eating than we were for preparing our heart for the Lord. 
to really focus us and to prepare us for the year ahead. I really got the sense in my heart that uh, we were doing this fast more out of religious duty than we were out of relationship building. And we should never do anything out of religious duty. Everything that we do should be done to uh, develop our walk with the Lord, to develop our intimacy with Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? If, if you're just doing it out of duty, it is, it is not accomplishing anything. Everything that we set our heart to do should be done to develop our walk with the Lord, to develop a greater sensitivity to Christ. And so I just really felt that the Lord was laying on my heart that we needed to take a step back for at least this year, 2017. But that was relatively early into the fast. And knowing that I did not believe that a step back meant to de-emphasize prayer, I really made the rest of that fast about what the Lord would have us do this year. That if we were going to take a step back from the 21-day fast, what would we do moving forward? Because I never want us to get the idea that prayer is not important. I want us to emphasize prayer and to understand why prayer is so needed and why it is so important. And this is what I felt the Lord lay on my heart. And I, I really wanted to talk about this the first Sunday of January, but it was January the 1st and I knew that the crowds were going to be light and I knew it would not be the right time. So I purposely waited until this Sunday not knowing that we were going to get the first snowstorm of the uh, new year and that attendance was going to be lower anyway. But uh, I'm going to encourage you to take what I say today and tell this to as many people as you can. But this is what we're going to do for the remainder of the month of January. Throughout January, we are going to be emphasizing prayer. Now, I am not going to be doing a series on prayer, per se, through January, but the messages on Sunday morning are going to emphasize prayer. I'm going to talk about the necessity of prayer and why prayer is so important so each message is going to emphasize prayer to one degree or another. Also with that, every Wednesday night throughout January is going to be devoted to prayer and seeking the Lord. Many of you know that on Wednesday night, I typically do a Bible study and I take one book of the Bible and I work through it verse by verse. In, G in February, we're actually going to begin Second Peter and if you have any interest in the end times and what the apostles believed about the end times, Second Peter is your book, and we're starting that in February. But we're going to suspend the Bible study for the month of January, and we're going to use that time to pray and to seek the Lord. And what we're going to do is we're going to just begin with a few worship songs just to prepare our heart from a busy day at the office or wherever we work or where we're going to school, whatever, just to silence our heart before the Lord and just prepare ourselves to pray. And then I'm going to get up and I'm just going to introduce the focus for our prayer for that evening. And then we're going to use the balance of our time to seek the face of the Lord. We actually started last uh, this past Wednesday and we had a great meeting. We had a great attendance, 
but we even had a better prayer meeting. It was fantastic, and the Lord just moved in a mighty way. He always honors corporate prayer. There's something about the people of God coming together to pray that God just honors. And so I want to encourage those of you that make Bethel your home, whether you're a partner or not, to come out on Wednesday night and pray with us through the month of January. Now, on top of that, I want to tell you that I personally am going to recognize days of fasting over this month. That's as far as I'm going to take it. That's between God and I. But I am going to be recognizing various days in January for fasting and prayer. And I would just encourage those of you that will to enter into those days with me. You know, you pray and ask the Lord what he would have you do. And I've never approached this in a religious uh, way where I said, you know, you've got to do this and this is how you're going to do it. I've just said, listen, you seek the Lord and whatever the Lord lays on your heart, I just ask that you would be obedient to it. Join with me in this month of prayer and just setting aside some time to fast. But as the video said a moment ago, Starting on sundown, Sunday, January the 22nd, sundown, January the 22nd, that's a Sunday, and continuing on to sundown, Sunday, January the 29th, we will be observing a seven-day fast. And we are asking our church family to join us in that week to fast and to pray for our fellowship and that God would give us guidance, that God would give us power to do what he has asked us to do in this coming year. So really, if you can, uh, be a part of it. And as it was said in the video, we're going to do something a little different, and that is that every night during that week, from the 22nd to the 29th, the church is going to be open from 7 p.m., till 8 p.m., one hour, to gather together for corporate prayer. That's Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night we'll already be here, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and then Sunday morning we'll have our two services. At 1 o'clock we'll start our prayer, and we'll continue that till about 6 or 6.30, or whenever the Lord um, lets us go, and that will be the end of our you know, prayer emphasis, though we pray that it will just be a catapult that will take you through the course of this year to really pray and seek the face of God. Now, furthermore, what we're going to do is this. Many of you know that over the last several years, we have done a day of fasting once a quarter. And we have come in, we've done two services in the uh, in Sunday morning, and then at 1 o'clock we just have prayer until 6, 6.30 or whatever the case may be. Um, but what we're going to do this year, in lieu of the 21-day fast, and this was in my heart, is quarter we, quarterly we are going to do that one week of fasting. So we'll do this in January, we'll do it in April, we'll do it in July, and we'll do it in October. And again, the same thing. One whole week of fasting and prayer, the church being open. And, and I'm doing this because, again, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that God still hears prayer. I believe that God answers prayer. And for whatever reason, prayer is just not a priority with many believers. In fact, there are probably some of you here today that are saying, you know, Pastor, I, 
I know that you think prayer is that important, and I'm sure that it is, but why do we emphasize it so much? Why are you putting so much into it, and why are you calling us to be a part of these prayer meetings? Well, the reason is, is because from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible makes it very clear that what God does in the earth, He does through the faithful prayers and intercession of His saints of those whose hearts are loyal to him. Yes, there are times that God moves apart from man, but more often than not, what he does in the earth, he does through men and women who pray and seek his face. From Genesis to Revelation, you see men and women looking at the days they live in, seeing the difficulties that they were experiencing, and waiting upon God for a word. They got that word, they did the work, and God worked a miracle. And I believe that that pattern is still for you and I today. That we need to know the days that we are living in, the critical hour that we live in, and pray and say, God, give us a word. And then when God gives us a word to do the work and then believe in doing what he's told us to do, God is going to work a miracle. And how many of you believe the United States of America needs a miracle in Jesus' mighty name? And it comes through prayer for the glory and for the honor of his great name. I'm going to be honest, as your pastor, I do not believe that we pray enough. That may shock some of you, but I don't believe that we pray enough as a body. And it's obvious to me from my observations that very few of us, relatively speaking, know how to prevail with God in prayer. That we're doing a lot of talking and we're not seeing a lot of answering. That we don't know how to prevail in prayer with God. And when I say that, what I'm saying is to pray in such a way that the prayer that is offered is offered in such a manner that it is actually answered for the glory and the honor of God. Let's be completely transparent here today. Let's just be honest. And, and you know, a lot of people struggle with when we say that, but let's be honest there. We're not always honest with each other. So let's be very transparent. Prayer becomes much more interesting. It becomes much more exciting, much more thrilling, much more adventurous when prayer is actually answered. When you know that you have actually touched the heart of the Father, that when you finish praying, you've met with God, and more importantly, God has met you. That in prayer, there was actually a sense, heaven today touched earth. And as I leave here, I know that I am confident God heard my prayer and is moving on my behalf. The reason that many of us struggle with prayer, the reason that many of us find prayer boring, the reason that many of us find prayer a struggle, the reason that many of us start praying within minutes our minds begin to wander is because there's no power in our prayer. There is no sense that the God of all creation has met me in this room, has heard my prayer, and is moving in my heart. And that's why we struggle with prayer. In fact, what I find interesting is that most Christians have built right into their prayer time an escape hatch. 
an escape clause, a way to actually justify the powerlessness of their prayer. And it's this phrase, I guess it wasn't God's will. We use that to justify the powerlessness of our prayer. We sense nothing, and so we just immediately say, well, I guess it wasn't God's will to do that. Well, I guess it wasn't God's will to move on our behalf, and we immediately put it all on God. Now listen, i got to be very careful here because honestly, I do believe that there are times when God doesn't answer because it's not God's will. Can you say amen to that? But I wonder if that statement now is being made, I guess it wasn't God's will, to absolve us of any personal responsibility to approach God in a manner whereby he can hear our prayer, let alone answer our prayer. Did you know that you and I cannot just casually enter into the presence of Almighty God? That there are conditions for prayer being heard by God and answered by God. And I believe that heaven will reveal there were many times when it was God's will, when he was willing to do it, but we did not come to him in a way that he could hear us, let alone answer our prayers. Our text actually tells us that. Our text tells us that we are to break up the fallow ground For it is time to seek the Lord. In other words, what the prophet said is, knowing it is time to seek the Lord, begin now to break up the fallow ground. Do not go into prayer until you've taken the time to break up the fallow ground and prepare yourself to seek the face of God. You know, many of you know that all throughout Scripture, the heart, And the mind of man is commonly referred to as ground. Ground that must be prepared properly in order for the seed of God's word to be planted effectively. That was the basis upon the parable of the sower and the seed. That the heart of man, that the mind of man had to be prepared properly in order to receive the seed of God's word in an effective manner. The same is true in prayer. The reality is I will never have a vibrant, life-giving prayer life until I have done the hard work of breaking up the fallow ground, the hard heart, and the hard mind that I have developed in this world. For those of you that don't know, fallow ground is unplowed ground. It is ground that has become hard through neglect, It has become hard through exposure to harsh environment, weather, and elements. It is ground that has developed a very thick, hard crust so that it cannot receive seed or even rain. I grew up in an agricultural town and I saw what a winter could do to fertile ground. It can develop this crust that will prevent it from receiving seed And even it will reject the rain. It is ground that was once effective but cannot be effective any longer unless it is plowed and broken up so that it can be effective once again. Can I tell you that the same thing can happen to our hearts and to our minds? In the same way, our hearts can become hard through neglecting our responsibilities with God and our responsibilities with man. 
Our hearts can become hard because of rough, harsh experiences and exposure to painful seasons of life. And they can even become hard through rebelliously resisting God and His will for our lives. But regardless to how they become hardened, they are incapable of receding the seed of God's Word or the reign of His presence until they have been plowed and broken. No matter how hard I try to develop an effective prayer life until my heart is prepared properly and my mind is focused upon the greatness of God, I will never be effective in prayer. I was thinking about this the other night. Why do most New Year's resolutions fail? Every year people will make New Year's resolutions, but typically we don't even get out of January before they fall by the wayside. Why is that? More often than not, they fail because they are made with virtually no consideration of the state of our mind or our heart when we make them. We just see an area in our life that needs to be addressed, that needs to be changed, and we say, on January 1, I resolve that it's going to be better this year. I resolve that I'm going to put more attention into this this coming year. But we never consider that our heart is still hard. We've never considered that our will is set, and so it falls by the wayside. Until I am willing to break my heart and humble myself, then no resolution I make will ultimately stick. And the same is true even with my growth with the Lord. We cannot, or we can, I should say, make all of the promises to God that we want to, but until we have done the hard work of allowing ourselves to be broken and to plow up the hardness of heart that has developed through the years, we will get nowhere in our growth of the Lord, especially in the area of prayer and seeking the face of God. Many of us have no idea just how hard our hearts really have. They have been hardened through a constant pounding of this world. We have sat ourselves at the feet of this world and it has absolutely hardened our heart towards the sensitivity of the Spirit of the Lord. And until that is broken, we will never seek the face of God effectively. There is a thought that may be very inconvenient for us, but we're going to have to warm up to if we're going to make a breakthrough in prayer. And that is that just because you and I are praying does not mean God is listening. You want to get a spirited conversation going? Just tell people that. That just because you're praying does not mean that God is listening. Many times we think that just because we say, God, hear my prayer, that God's hearing. But long before you ever opened up your mouth, God already knew whether he could hear you or not based upon the condition of your heart. The assumption that many people make, including many who do not even have a relationship with the Lord and do not even attempt to please God, is that because they pray, God is listening to them, even though all throughout the Word of God there are conditions to prayer or answered prayer, prayer that God actually hears and considers. You want to go to someone that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. And I, I've done this, you know, because everybody says that today. Oh, you know what? I'm not a Christian, but don't worry. I pray to God every day. 
Did you know that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. That is a condition for answered prayer. You can pray to God all you want to, but unless you are coming through Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, he is not hearing one thing you say. And that is just something that we have got to understand. There are conditions for answered prayer. There are conditions for God hearing us. And we just think that because I'm praying, God is listening. Nothing could be further from the truth. Your Bible is brimming with scriptures that say there are conditions for God answering prayer. There are conditions that your heart must be in in order for God to even hear your prayer. And so here's what I'd like to do over the next couple of weeks. I'd like to take some time to walk you through the scriptures that deal with conditions for answered prayer or for prevailing prayer. There are times when pastors have to preach and there are times when pastors have to teach. And over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be teaching. This is not going to be a preaching message. This is just going to be a teaching. I'm going to throw a lot of scripture your way. But I pray that you take good notes and that you, more than taking the notes, take those notes into your own prayer closet and say, Father, reveal these things to me because I want my prayers to be heard and I want my prayers to be answered. How many of you want God to hear your prayers? Let me just ask you that. A few of you. How many of you want God to hear your prayers? How many of you want God to answer your prayers? Amen? There are conditions to it, and we're going to go through it. Why is this so important? Before we change directions, I want to share with you something. I shared this with everybody on Wednesday night, but it really made an impact in my heart. Last Sunday, after the second service... I went home and I changed really quickly. We were inviting some people over for lunch that day and I wanted to go get some wings. And so I went home, changed really quickly. I came back over here to a little pizza place that is right around the corner, maybe 100, 200 yards from here. Some of you know where it is. It's Antonino's. If you know where, I'm putting in a shameless plug for him. If you know where Starbucks is, it's right across the street. There's a little strip of stores in there. They have great food, not great for you, but they have really good pizza and they have some wings. And I wanted to get some wings for everyone that was going to be there. And so I went in, I got my order. As I was coming out, there was a young man that walked in front of me on the sidewalk. And I fell in behind him. He was probably five or six feet in front of me. And I watched him reach into his pocket and he pulled out something and he threw it on the ground. When I came over, I saw that it was a syringe, needle. And at the end of the parking lot, there was another young man that was waiting for him. And there they made the drug exchange. And I have to tell you, as I got into the car, I was a little nervous. You know, I, I'm just not given to that. I don't see that a lot. And at first, I'm just thinking, did I see something that they're going to want to kill me for? I, you know, I just didn't know, I didn't know what to think of that. But then I sat down and I considered the irony of that moment. Because if you were here last Sunday morning, you remember that we introduced a new song called chain breaker and then I came up and I talked about Jesus breaking the chains and then I called for men and women to come down to pray that God would set them free for this coming year and the irony 
is that little did I know that less than an hour after the close of that service, 200 yards away, I would see a man strung out on heroin. It's all around us, folks. The other day I was talking to my next door neighbor who said that she had been walking her dog by a little cemetery that's not too far from our house and she saw a leather wallet, so to speak, and she, she thought maybe somebody had left it there. She picked it up and opened it up and then it was a syringe, it was a spoon, were the drugs and were the... the, the uh, the thing that they, the tourniquet or whatever they call it, the tubing that they tie it off. Folks, I'm going to tell you what is happening in our streets, what is happening in our families, what is happening in our homes, what is happening in our cities, what is happening in our world, what is happening in the airports, what is happening all around us does not need human intervention. It needs divine intervention. And God has shown us from time to time that He only moves in those who pray and seek His face. Folks, we have got to graduate from infancy and get into adulthood and stop praying for TVs and vacations and for retirement. We need to start storming heaven to take back our cities and to take back our families by the power of Almighty God. And He will do it through prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Bless God. So, will you walk with me over these next couple of weeks? And will you examine your own heart as I share with you the conditions for answered prayer? The first condition is that we must pray by faith. We must pray by faith. Prayer that is answered, prayer that prevails with God, is prayer that is offered in absolute confidence that God is able and that He is willing to answer. When we pray... There has to be a confidence within our heart that not only is God able to answer my prayer, but He is willing to answer my prayer if it is offered in a proper manner. Jesus is the one who taught us to pray by faith. Remember what He said in Mark 11, beginning with verse number 22. He said, Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Jesus taught us that. Jesus taught us to pray with that kind of faith, to pray with that kind of confidence. Now, I want to point out something here. When he said, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, I think all of you know that he was speaking with a metaphor, if you will. Um, he was speaking metaphorically. Uh, in that day, there was a very common expression um, that was used to describe hardships and difficulties that we experience in life. They were mountains, just like we call them today. And what he was simply saying is, if you are facing a struggle, a difficulty, go to the Lord in prayer and have faith in Him, because if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that those things that you say will be done, that you will have whatever you say in Jesus' name. Folks, there is 
nothing wrong. In fact, Jesus commands us to go into prayer absolutely convinced that we will have whatever we ask him in Jesus' name. Now, can this be abused? No doubt. Has it been abused? Absolutely. But can I tell you that just because it has been abused does not mean we get to throw the baby out with the bathwater? And for too long, we as Christians do that. Somebody takes these things to an abusive level, and so we don't talk about it at all. But just because there are people that abuse it doesn't mean it's not what Jesus said and that it's not the promise that he has given to us. We can pray by faith. Yes, there are men and women that will take that scripture and say, see, if you pray for a million dollars, if you pray for a Mercedes Benz, if you pray for a mansion, if you pray for another house in Aruba, as long as you believe it in your heart, you will receive it. Yes, there are people that will say that to you, and then at the end they'll say, and you just need to sow your seed on fertile ground, so send me a thousand dollars. The only one that gets the house in Aruba is the preacher that says that. Okay, so there are abuses. We get it. But what we do is we go to the Scripture and find out what Jesus meant. Jesus did not say this to the multitudes. He said it to the disciples. That's important because Jesus later would tell us that a disciple is one who denied himself took up the cross and followed the Lord. He did not give this promise to people that were self-seeking and selfish. He gave this promise to men and women who deny themselves and live for one thing, and that is for the glory of Almighty God. And God says, if you pray for anything according to my will, it will be done for you. And we don't have to wonder or question. We can be absolutely confident that God has heard us in Jesus' mighty name. Can you give him praise for that? if you believe it. Amen. What does it say in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6? But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is God and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, my prayer cannot please the Lord. The only prayer that God is pleased with is a prayer that is offered up in complete faith in Almighty God. When I come to Him, I must believe that He is God, which, you know, at first you think that that sounds kind of weird because why would I go to Him unless I knew He was God? But what He's saying is that you have to believe that He is God, that He is in control, that He is able to answer your prayer. And you must also be convinced that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Diligently seek Him here means to seek out or to investigate. So God rewards those who seek out and investigate His character, His purposes, His will in the earth. It just means that long before I go to God in prayer, I'm already investigating the Scriptures to know what His purposes are, to know what His will is, to know what His plan is, and then, as that is revealed by His Spirit, to pray it and know that because I have prayed according to His will, It shall be done in Jesus' name. This verse was never meant to be about personal enrichment. Where I can go to the Lord and say, gimme, 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 gimme. It was meant to be about the advancement of the kingdom of God. It was meant to say, go into prayer, seek my kingdom, 
and my purposes. And you will know in your heart, I will do it for the glory and the honor of my great name. Every prayer that God answers is a prayer that is offered by faith. Secondly, we must ask according to his will. We must ask according to his will. The second condition for answered prayer is asking according to his will. Listen to what John said in 1 John 5 and verse number 14. He says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. John is basically expounding upon what Jesus said in Mark chapter 11. What he's simply saying is this confidence can abide in your heart in every situation. That if you ask anything according to the will of God, he will hear you. And if you know that he hears you, whatever you ask, then you will know that you have the petitions that you ask him because you're asking according to the will of God. Again, it is that idea that I don't go into the prayer closet having already decided what I think the will of God is. It is going into the prayer closet saying, Lord, what is your will? See, what most of us do, let's just be completely transparent again. Most of us already determine what God's will is before we go into the prayer closet. And what we pray for is what we want done, not what God wants done. And what we have a responsibility to do is to go into prayer and say, Lord, you know what I would like, but not my will, but thy will be done. Isn't that how Jesus taught us to pray? He says, Lord, if there is any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's how we are to enter into prayer. And let me just say this. This is more than just asking God what his specific will is. It really is dealing with the right attitude as well. He is telling us that we are to approach him with an attitude of sincerity, that we are sincere about what we want accomplished. Remember what Jesus said when he taught us to pray in Matthew 6 and verse number 10? He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, when you come into the presence of God, your first request should be, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, you don't go into the presence of God again praying for your will to be done and for your kingdom to come, but rather saying, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. What we are being instructed here to do is to offer prayer with a sincere and genuine desire for his kingdom to advance and for his will to be done on this earth as it is always being done in heaven. God never promised to answer prayers that are for our kingdom and for our will. It is for his purpose. That's why Jesus, when he was talking about prayer, said this. He said, your heavenly father knows what you have need of before you even ask him. Do you know what that is a way of saying? Don't take time to ask him for what he knows you already need. He already knows what you have need of, so don't waste time praying for those things that 
you have need of because he knows what they are ahead of time. Instead, what are we to do? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. I was thinking about it the other day. You know, when I was growing up, I never had to ask my father to put a meal on the table. It was always there. I never had to ask my father to clothe me. Clothing was always there. I never had to ask my father to put a roof over my head. The roof was always there because my dad understood this is my son. I have a responsibility to take care of his needs. The only thing that I had to worry myself about is obeying the will of my earthly father. And in the same way, I don't have to go into prayer and remind God of what I need. He knows what I have need of. It's part of being the son of God, the daughter of God. You don't have to waste your time. He's got you covered. What he says is when you pray, I want you to pray for my kingdom to come to New Jersey and for the will of God to be done to see the captive set free in Jesus mighty name. That's what he's saying here. Remember Proverbs 28 and verse 9 says this, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Now let that sink into your heart for a moment. It doesn't say that if we turn our ear from hearing his law, he will not hear our prayer. He says, if we turn away our ear from hearing his law, our prayer is an abomination. That it is utterly, this is what it literally means, disgusting. That's amazing. Do we ever consider that? Do we ever consider that before we come into the presence of the Lord? Because if I am not living a submitted life to the Lord, if I'm not being obedient to the law of His kingdom, not only is He not hearing my prayer, but my prayer offends Him. It is an abomination to Him. When was the last time that you ever considered before you went into prayer, Lord, does my heart truly reflect a desire for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done? If I am not conformed to his will and joyous in doing so, my prayer is disgusting. It is putrid before him. God hears the prayer that is offered with a sincere heart. Lord, it is for your kingdom I live in Jesus' name. That leads us to a third condition for answered prayer, and that is unselfishness. Unselfishness is a condition for answered prayer. Listen to what James said in James chapter 4 and verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. God says it's not really a lack of prayer, but rather it's when you do pray, you do not receive because you ask amiss because it's always about spending it on your pleasures, on doing what you want. You know, there's nothing wrong necessarily with praying for a bigger house, but why do you want a bigger house? Is it so that you'll have more room to walk around in? Or do you intend to use a bigger house to open it up for people who have fallen upon hard times? Tell me, why does a husband and wife have to live in a house that has seven bedrooms, three and a half beds, bedrooms, uh, uh, three and a half baths, excuse me, a garage for a fleet of cars, a huge backyard? 
Why do they need that if it's just the two of them? Is it not to spend it on their own pleasures? Or do they intend to bring the kingdom of God into their home and say, we've bought a bigger house so that we can invite people to come in and live with us when they've fallen on hard times? Come on, talk to me, folks. I know we don't like to hear that, but he says one reason your prayers are not answered is because when you do pray, it's to spend it on your own pleasures. It's to take care of number one, not to take care of the kingdom of God. God will not hear the prayers of the selfish. He will not hear the prayers of the self-seeking, but he hears the prayers of those who are focused on the kingdom of God and others in Jesus' name. That leads us to a fourth condition, and that is a pure conscience. A pure conscience is a condition for answered prayer. John again said in 1 John 3 and verse number 20, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Listen to this, why? Because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. He said, you know what? Keep your conscience clean. Keep his commandments. Do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And then you will have confidence that whatever you ask, you will receive from him. Our conscience must be kept clean. Listen, if you are not a Christian here this morning, you're not a follower of Christ, The only thing that God requires of you is a prayer of repentance. He just requires you to come to him because obedience to him cannot save you. Our righteousness is like a filthy rag. We have to come to the Lord, confess our sin, forsake our sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So don't misunderstand me. If you are not a believer, you are not obeying God in order that he may save you. But... As followers of Jesus Christ, it is important that we keep his commandments and we do those things that are pleasing unto God. That we keep our conscience clean. And if our conscience is clean, then we know that whatever we ask, we will receive because we honor him in all that we do. The fifth condition of answered prayer is a pure heart. A pure heart. The psalmist said in Psalm 66 and verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Now our conscience has to do with our mind. The thoughts that we have, we got to keep that pure. But our heart is talking about our will. And what he's saying is, if we regard iniquity in our will, or if we harbor iniquity in our will, God will not hear us. He's dealing with willful sin. He's dealing with those willful areas of our life that we refuse to deal with. God says if you continue to harbor iniquity in your heart, if your will is continually to do what you want, I will not hear you. Husbands, listen to me. The Word of God says that you are to love your wife as Christ loves the church. If you do not obey His commandment, God will not hear your prayer. Ladies, you are commanded to respect your husband for the sake of Jesus Christ. If you do not respect him, God is not hearing your prayer. Students, 
You are commanded to obey your parents. If you are not, God is not hearing your prayer. Mom and dad, you are told to discipline your children without being overbearing towards them. If you are not, then God is not hearing your prayer. Where did we ever get this idea that I can live in disobedience to God and yet God will still hear me? If you are not tithing, God is not hearing your prayer. (laughs) Say amen or ouch, okay? Lean to your neighbor and say, wake up, he's talking to you. No. (laughs) I mean, it's just sad how we think we can disobey the word of God and that God will somehow still hear our prayer. Folks, you can't do it. That leads us to the sixth condition. And that's repentance and restitution. Repentance and restitution is a condition for answered prayer. Proverbs 28 and verse number 13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Let not one person in this room this morning imagine for one moment that God will hear our prayer as long as we try to cover up our sin, justify our sin, downplay our sin, explain away our sin. God will not hear our prayer until we come clean of our sin and not only confess it and forsake it, but even make restitution for it. It's amazing how today we talk about repentance, asking God to forgive us for what we've done, but no one ever talks about making it right, making restitution. Did you know that God requires restitution from you and I? Did you know that? You say, well, are you telling me that I purchased my salvation? Of course not. It is a gift from God. But it is an arrangement whereby God says, I am willing to forgive you freely provided you give me the rest of your life. This is why Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, and pleasing unto him, which is your reasonable act of worship. And no longer be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. What he is saying there is that in light of the mercy that he has shown you in saving you from your sin, the only way to make restitution for your rebellion is to give him the rest of your days and say, Lord, I offer my life as a living sacrifice. I live for you, not for myself. And we have a responsibility to do that with others as well. Too many times we've hurt people and we've just gone to them and said, hey, would you forgive me? I'm sorry. The next words out of your mouth should be, and what can I do to make this right with you? I have injured you. I've taken something from you. I've hurt you. It's not enough for me to just ask you to forgive me. What can I do to make it right with you? If you don't do that, God will not hear your prayer. James 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed and restored. It's nice and quiet here today. Either I'm boring or God is convicting. I pray the latter. (laughs) Clean hands is a condition for answered prayer. 
The psalmist said in Psalm 26 in verse 6, I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar. It is not until I wash my hands in innocence that I will go about your altar. Obviously, when he talks about clean hands anywhere in Scripture, he's using it again metaphorically. It is talking about our works. If my works are not pure before the Lord, God will not hear my prayer. If I want God to hear my prayer, then all of my works need to be pure and sincere before Him. Settling of all conflicts either created by others or by us, is a condition for answered prayer. If you want to prevail with God in prayer, you have to settle all conflicts, either created by others or by yourself. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 23, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. As believers, if we come into the Lord's presence to pray and to seek the Lord, and while we're praying, the Lord lays upon our heart an outstanding conflict that we have with another person or with other people he says before you go any further in your prayer you need to go and see them you need to go and call them you need to have a sit down with them face to face no texting no email you need to sit down with them and you need to do everything you can to reconcile that relationship and until you do i will not hear your prayer Some of you say, well, Pastor Kurt, what if they won't be reconciled? I mean, sometimes they just won't be reconciled, and you're absolutely right. But aren't you glad that the Scripture says, as much as depends upon you, live in peace with all men? What he is simply saying is, you go and do your part. You be the one that initiates it. You make the call. You go do the visit. You are the one that should should initiate it. You have been given the ministry of reconciliation, the Bible says. So you be the one that goes. And there are a lot of people that have come to me through the years and they've said, you know, I've done that, Pastor Kerr, but they still won't be reconciled. And I'll say, well, what exactly did you say to them? And they'll say something like this. Well, listen, I forgive you for what you did to me. Okay, yeah, that's really going to go a long way. Listen, you go in and you humble yourself before those people and you say, whatever part I have played in this conflict Please forgive me. You say, well, Pastor Kurt, no, Pastor Kurt, nothing. Jesus took your guilt, though he had done no sin. You can take some responsibility to bring about peace. God will not hear your prayer until you have gone the extra mile to bring reconciliation in Jesus' name. So don't for a moment think that if you have a conflict with someone, God's hearing your prayer. God says, deal with that first. I won't hear you until you do. We must remove all other objects of worship. Two more. Remove all other objects of worship is a condition for answer prayer. God will not share you with anyone. He wants alone to be your God. And until he is, he will not hear your prayer. Ezekiel 14 and verse 13 says, Son of man, these men have set up their idols, I love this, in their hearts. 
I love that because he wasn't talking about idols of stone and metal and wood. He's talking about spiritual idols that we set up in our hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I, this is God speaking, should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? God says, would I actually allow myself to be inquired by people who have allowed idols in their heart and have put before them the very things that cause them to stumble? God will not hear my prayer unless he is Lord of everything. Let me ask you, is God your Lord alone? Do you think about him first thing in the morning? And is he the last one on your mind as you drift off to sleep? It's sad, the idols that we have today. Who'd have ever dreamed a cell phone would become our God? Some of you say, no way, that cell phone's not my God. Oh, yes, it is. Because you spend more time on this than you ever did with God. Do you think God doesn't see those things? (laughs) I I just think it's funny. We'll say, I didn't have time to pray. And you just think that God forgot that you had all the time in the world to text your friends. That you had hours to spend on Facebook. That you spent more time during the day worrying about your friendships and this girlfriend defending that girlfriend than you ever considered how you offended the heart of God today. We take it so lightly, and we think that God is easily fooled. If we were to take a survey of all the time that we spent doing other things, and all the time that we spent with God, would there be enough evidence to suggest that He is the God of your life? Even family can become an idol to us. I've seen people that say, you know, I've got to spend time with my family. But the time that they spend with their family has little, if anything, to do with God at all. In fact, let me just tell you something that, you know, the week between Christmas and New Year's, I took off. I just stayed at home and I just enjoyed a, a, a little bit of a break. But I did spend a lot of time with the Lord, too. And the Lord deeply convicted me about some things. And we had a couple of gift cards to the Outback. And so, not Australia, but (laughs) um, (laughs) to the restaurant. So I called up Josh and Linda, my son and my daughter-in-law. And I said, why don't you join us for dinner tonight? And Kathy and Amanda and I met them. And we had a wonderful dinner. But right after dinner, I just said, listen, I don't want to be Johnny Raincloud here. But I had a purpose for getting together today. And I shared with them how I, how I felt that, you know, I could have done so much better preparing them spiritually for the days ahead. But I felt I had failed. And I said, so first I'm confessing that to you. But now I'm saying I can't do anything about what's done, but I can do something about what will be done from this day forward. And I went on to talk to them about their own walk with the Lord and and how much time they spend in entertainment, and how much time they spend taking care of themselves. And they said, and we think that God's cool with that. 
There is nothing innocent about what keeps me away from the Lord. There's nothing that is innocent about that which consumes my time so I have no time with Jesus Christ. Please, folks, if he's not Lord of everything, he's not Lord of all. No other idol in your life. And if there is, God will not hear your prayer. And then finally, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a condition for answered prayer. Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our debtors as we forgive our debtors. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I cannot for a moment think that God will hear my prayer as long as there is unforgiveness in my heart. If you have bitterness and anger in your heart for another person, you need to know God will not hear your prayer. I remember a number of years ago, I was counseling this individual that was being tormented mentally and emotionally. I I had not seen someone this tormented before. It was almost scary. And I met with them and met with them for a few weeks and there were times when it felt like we were making some progress and then there were times when we just seemed to be reverting way back. And I remember one morning, I just was at the end of my, my self, not my rope, but the end of myself. I just, I knew I needed just a, the Lord to speak to my heart. And I prayed and said, Lord, just show me. And I felt the Lord speak to my heart and say, you go to them today and tell them that all their life they've shown no mercy. They've shown no compassion. They've shown no forgiveness. And now they come to me wanting mercy, wanting forgiveness, wanting compassion. I will not give what they have not shown. If they want mercy, they've got to start showing mercy. If they want forgiveness, they're going to need to start showing forgiveness. If they want compassion, they're going to need to start showing compassion. I went to them and I shared that it didn't go over very well. But I'm going to tell you, folks, if you want freedom in this world, you're going to have to be a merciful, forgiving, compassionate person. And you need to forgive. Because unless you do, God will not hear your prayer. I've got about 10 more of these to go. We got next week to do that though. Folks, I want us to realize that prayer is not just coming in half cocked, saying, oh Lord, you know, hear my prayer. No. Long before you ever show up in the prayer closet, God has already searched your heart to see if he can hear you. May we start humbling ourselves before the Lord. Pray over these things and let's be ready. In Jesus' name. Father, I just pray that we would leave here today convicted, not condemned. We love conviction, Lord. Conviction is good. (laughs) But condemnation destroys. And condemnation would tell us that there's no hope. But there is hope. And the very fact that you shared these things with us today is that hope we have. And I pray 
that as we move forward in this month to pray, to seek your face, that we would do that work of breaking up the fallow ground. That where our heart has become hardened in bitterness and unforgiveness, that where our heart has become hard in willful, deliberate sin, where our heart has become hardened through selfishness, that we would allow your spirit to break up that hard ground and soften us so that we can meet with you and that what we ask, we can receive. Strengthen us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.